name is Brian Vassell. I'm one of your pastors. I'm excited that you're here. Here in the States, it is a holiday weekend, so kudos to you. You came out. I want to welcome all of our campuses as well, online and uh, all over the world. Thanks for being here and uh, wrapping up our Panic Room series. You enjoyed this series so far? It's been great. And it's my hope today, with every bit of me, to be able to give you something that you didn't have when you came in. So I want to invite you to take out those notes you received when you came in and take some, write some stuff down that uh, will help you, I believe, with what's coming in your life. Let me take a quick, uh, let me ask you around the room, how many of you do not like to be alone? Raise your hand. You don't like it. You just don't like being alone. My, my wife is that way. If she goes on an errand and she wants to get in the car, guess who's going with her? Me or the dog, one or the other. We have this little tiny dog that rides along with her. She, if she wants to go into a room and watch TV, she'd like to have me around her. And I mean, and who can blame her? I mean, look at me. I mean, you know, who would want to be around a pastor 24-7? You know, I just, seriously, this is, I'm jackpot for her. But, but, <laughs> that's ter terribly arrogant. She just doesn't like to be alone, but, but she's not lonely. My wife is not lonely. There's a difference between being alone and being lonely, isn't there? I mean, I, we, we wrestle with this. Loneliness is that feeling that you have so much to say, but nobody to say it to. Loneliness is the feeling you have when you feel rejected, or the, or, or the world has turned its back on you, or things just don't seem to be going right, and you're the only one enduring it. That's what we're going to talk about today. Loneliness. How do we deal with the loneliness that we find ourselves in? It, it contributes to so much. Depression, obesity, insomnia, all these things that loneliness affects. In fact, I have a quote in my notes. It's from the uh, U.S. Surgeon General, or the former U.S. Surgeon General, uh, Vivek, I think I'm saying his name right, Vivek Murthy, who says this, cancer and obesity aren't the country's biggest health issues. It's loneliness and isolation. But, but how is that the case? I mean, after all, we carry a smartphone. How can we possibly be lonely when we have the world in our pocket? I would say that the smartphone contributes to loneliness. Because, yeah, we're better connected with text, but text doesn't replace a real conversation, does it? I mean, a phone call is great, but isn't it nice to be in someone's home and get to know them one-on-one? -on -one? But we, we hide behind social media. Everything's okay, I'm not lonely. And we post our best pictures to Instagram. Loneliness is a, something a lot of us deal with. I mean, why do we hurt so bad when we're lonely? I, I, I put this in your notes. Please fill this in. I believe it's because we are designed by God to do life together. Would you agree with that? Genesis 2.18. Let's read it. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, remember what happened. God made everything. And he said what when he was finished? It is good. This is the first thing he said was not good. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for you to be apart from other people. Loneliness is not good. Pastor Troy says it all the time. One is too small of a number for greatness. I believe that. We are designed to do life with others. In fact, Mother Teresa says this. She says the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. It hurts, doesn't it? Now, I want you, let's, before we go any further, I want to make sure we're clear on this. Loneliness does not mean there are nobody, there's nobody around you. You can be lonely in a crowd, can't you? Some of us are living with a spouse, and every morning we wake up and roll over and look at them and feel like roommates, not husband and wife. And we feel lonely. 
we're around friends. We have, we're the only ones with the values that we have, and we feel lonely in a crowd of people. Physical proximity has nothing to do with loneliness because some of us have been lonely a long time, and we've hidden it really well. We smile, and we cover it up. And the devil just twists the knife in our back, doesn't he? He tries to convince you that you're the only one that feels like that. You had this coming. You did this to yourself. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll tell you all those. The biggest lie of all is that you're the only one feeling like this. Because I can tell you, statistically, you're not. In fact, fill these in if you would. The average person spends 80% of their time with other people. Did you know that? 80% of our day is made up by spending it with somebody else. But here's an interesting stat. 72% of people experience regular bouts with loneliness. Three out of four. Look down your row in all of our campuses. Almost the majority of the folks that are sitting next to you have experienced loneliness or maybe going through it right now. I read a story. Chuck Swindoll writes a little devotional. And one of the devotionals talked about a guy who lived in Kansas. And he decided one day he was going to place an ad. And it was an unusual ad. He's, the ad said that I, for, for $5, I'll let you call me on the phone. Here's my number. And for 30 minutes, you can talk to me and I will not interrupt you for 5 bucks. Now, it seemed to, it's like, why would somebody do that? But you know what? He, he was getting 20 to 30 calls a day. Why? People are lonely. People just want somebody to talk to. People just want somebody to connect with. So how do we deal with loneliness? I put some panic rooms there in your outline. Here's some typical ways we tend to deal with it. We run to the panic room of work. I'm going to work a ton of hours so I don't have to go home to an empty house. Or we run to the panic room of sex. I'll just sleep with anybody that was interested in me because it's better to, at least I'm with somebody for a little while. Or we run to the panic room of support groups, hobbies, sports, dating, social media. Things we run to that are just temporary fixes. But do they really help? I talked to somebody the other day. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm so lonely, I finished Netflix. Wow, really? You finished Netflix? Like a show on Netflix? No, I finished Netflix. <laughs> Loneliness is so common. It's so well hidden sometimes, you know? So what are we supposed to do about these feelings? I've written three types of loneliness down, and they're in your outline. I want to encourage you to write them in. Three ways that we get lonely and how to deal with them. Number one, the first type of loneliness, I believe, is intentional loneliness. Intentional loneliness. This is loneliness because I choose to be lonely. You've hurt me, so I'm going to push you away. You bother me, I'm never going to trust again. You broke up with me, I don't want anything to do with people. And we isolate ourselves. And we cause our own loneliness. There's a quote there in your outline, and a lot of people believe this. Sometimes it's better to be alone because nobody can hurt you. A lot of us live like that. Is it true? I don't think so. But a lot of us live with that truth, or we think is a truth. In fact, look at this pattern. I wrote it there in your outline. A lot of us fall into pain in life. And what do we become? We become the victim. Poor me. They hurt me. I'm broken. And then what happens? It goes right into the feeling of loneliness. I feel all alone. And that feeling of loneliness leads to, please fill this in, isolation. We self-isolate. We withdraw from the people around us. And it may not be physically. We may still be around them, but we withdraw emotionally from them. 
we disconnect from them. It is self-inflicted loneliness. And a lot of us deal with life that way and pain that way. The Bible talks about this type of person in Proverbs 18.1. The wisdom writer writes this. One who isolates himself pursues what? Uh, let's say it like we mean it, okay? One who isolates himself pursues selfish what? Desires, selfish desires. When we get hurt and we isolate ourselves, we become selfish. And it goes on. He or she rebels against all sound judgment. So not only do we get selfish when we pull away, we start making bad choices. The world is against me. Bring on a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Bad choice. I want to hug my 27 cats and not talk to anybody. We make bad calls. Or one night stands aren't bad. At least I'm valuable for a couple of hours. And we start making those selfish, bad decisions. Just because we're lonely. Proverbs says we, we can't live like that. Maybe it's more serious than that. And I want to push pause on the, on the lesson just for a second. And I want to talk to you about something that is near and dear to my heart. As a pastor, I talk to a lot of people who are struggling with this type of loneliness. They pushed everybody away because they don't want to get hurt again. And over time, it's gotten worse and it's gotten worse and it's gotten worse. And they've contemplated suicide. First of all, if that's you today at any one of our campuses, I want to tell you that don't you ever, ever give up on yourself. Ever. There is someone that wants to help. In fact, I put a number here on the, on the screens. If you would, jot this down. Because you may not be dealing with suicide, but you may know somebody who is. This is the Suicide Prevention Hotline. There are so many who have isolated themselves so long, they feel like it's never going to get better. And they put a permanent solution to a temporary problem by tragically taking their own life. If this is you today, write this down. If you know somebody who could use this, write this down. There's help. There's help. There's always hope. All right, let's unpause. Now, this idea of isolation, the self-imposed isolation, there are two words, I put them there in your outline, that, all, that push us further into the hole. If you would, write these down. Two words that will keep you lonely forever. Everybody and nobody. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. Everybody's out to get me. Nobody knows I exist. That's not true. The world's not out to get you. Stop pushing it away. Everybody doesn't hate you. Now, I know it may feel like it, doesn't it, from time to time? I don't need them. They're going to hurt me. Everybody and nobody, gross generalizations, will cause you to feel lonely for a long time. So what do we do with this self-inflicted loneliness? James says it the best in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Now, I want to warn you, when I read this to you, you're going to go... Not sure. Okay, so let's read it. Dear brothers and sisters, James says, when troubles of any kind, underline that, any kind, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it what? An opportunity for great what? Joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance will grow. When they hurt you, consider it joy. Yay. Boy, that's not what I want to do. I don't need them in my life. All they do is hurt me. Why, why should I consider what they've done to me joy? 
I want you to be careful. When we read this passage of Scripture, he doesn't say be joyful because it happened. He doesn't say be joyful about the rejection. He doesn't say be joyful about the pain. What does he say? Be joyful that you're going through it. Why? Because God's going to use that pain to make you what? Stronger. Stronger. And when we go through pain in our lives, we have to say, you know what? I, there's joy in that because God's about to build me up. God's about to put more strength in me than I had before. It happened all through Scripture. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He was shipwrecked. They tried to kill him. They threw him in prison. And he wrote his greatest passages of joy while he was in prison. Because he said, you know what? I'm hurting right now. They've rejected me. But I'm not going to let that hold me down. I'm going to find joy in that because God is building me stronger. God is making me tougher. David, same thing. Psalm 13. David, is kind of, his life's kind of falling apart. But instead of rejecting the world, he says, you know what? I consider it joy because God is making me stronger. Joseph, you probably heard the story of Joseph. Joseph had a bunch of brothers that threw him in a, in a well, in a hole, and left him for dead. Joseph could have rejected the world, but he didn't. Joseph used that pain and that rejection and that, to make himself better. He became one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt because he didn't push people away. He didn't allow that to define his life. He didn't create intentional loneliness. I put another pattern in your notes. I believe this is the pattern that God has for us to live. We need to take the pain that we're experiencing, the rejection, the hurt, and pray about it. If you feel rejected, you've been pushed aside or, or, or you're hurting, turn to God. God, what do you want me to learn from this? And, and God's going to answer that prayer. He's going to give you a perspective. He's going to say, the reason that you're hurting so bad is because I'm still working on you. Did you know that nobody in this room at any of our campuses, you're not done yet. Did you know that? You're not done. God is developing character in you and strength in you. And, and, and every day, all of it. Sometimes the greatest lessons we learn come through the deepest pain. So ask God, God, what do you want me to learn from this? It will give you a new perspective, which will lead to that word again. There it is, joy. Thank you, God, for allowing me to go through this. Not because it, does, not because it hurts, but because I know you're about to use the pain to make me stronger. Not hate the world more, but be stronger. And that leads to growth. Please fill that in. That is how we grow. Not run away from our problems, not push the world away, but consider those challenges joy so that we grow. And I've got good news for you. The pain you're going through right now, the rejection you're feeling, the loneliness that's in your gut, it will not last forever. In fact, fill this in if you would. The pain you're experiencing is a season, not a sentence. It is temporary. You will feel better. Things will improve. This is not the way it's going to be for the rest of your life. No matter who you are, no matter how deep the pain is. But I'm telling you, the enemy's going to try to convince you otherwise. You will hurt forever. The world will reject you forever. You will hate yourself forever. Church, it is temporary. It is a season of your life. Now, I wish I could tell you, hang in there for another three weeks, you're going to feel better. I don't know how long it's going to last. But I know that God will use it to make you stronger. Don't push the world away. Consider it pure joy. Don't make one lousy ex-boyfriend make you swear off finding a good man. I mean, I'm taken, but there's others out there that are wonderful. 
Don't let the boss who fired you and called you a bunch of names define who you are. A parent that you've never been able to please. Don't let them define your, the way you treat authority. An unreasonable spouse. A challenging friend. These people in your life are building blocks to make you stronger. And it's a season, not a sentence. I put this in your notes. Please write it down. Don't withdraw from everybody over the actions of a somebody. Don't push everybody away because one person didn't treat you right. Connect. Grow. Don't let your loneliness be self-inflicted. Here's a second type of loneliness. Circumstantial loneliness. Because I'm lonely because I have to be. Circumstantial loneliness. It's kind of loneliness that comes, not something you did, but something that happened to you. For example, someone that you love passes away. Or a natural disaster like our friends in Houston, Texas. They're finding themselves lonely in a gym someplace with nothing left. It's things that happen to you. It's when their best friend walks away. Your spouse divorces you and leaves you there. That's the circumstantial loneliness. It's happened to you. What are you supposed to do with that? How do you handle it? In fact, F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald in The Great Gatsby writes this quote. The loneliest moment in someone's life is when they're watching their whole world fall apart and all they can do is stare blankly. You ever felt like that? Like everything was falling apart? Why me, God? Why does it hurt so bad and you feel alone? King David dealt with this in Psalm 25. He was, uh, you know, he had everything. Now, he'd made some bad choices if you read, the, read through the scriptures. He'd made some bad calls early in his, uh, in, in his run, but he straightened it out. And everything was going great for, for the for king, and as you're reading through scriptures, it, it starts to fall apart on him. Not that he caused it, it just started to, to hurt him. And, and look, what, look how David reacts. What does he say to God? God? He says, turn to me and be gracious to me. He's talking to God here. David said, for I am what? I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. David begs God, God, I want to feel better. Please help me. Why don't we do that more? What do we tend to do? I put two, two ideas down in your outline. Number one, we start second-guessing ourselves. We start second-guessing ourselves. If I would have just this, something else new would have happened. If I would have just got a second opinion, my husband would still be alive. If I had just gone to marriage counseling, I could have saved my marriage. If I had just been a better friend, then what happens is we play these scenarios out in our mind over and over and over. If I would have just, if I would have just, if I would have just, you know the problem with that? It, it just adds stress. Because here's the fact, we don't know what would have happened if something would have been different. We don't know. But yet we waste so much energy second-guessing ourselves. And we become lonelier in the process. Second thing we do is we blame them. If they'd have just listened to me, we'd still be a couple. If they would have just taken better care of themselves, they'd still be alive. And we get angry. If they would have just been different. We don't go to God with our problems. We blame them. If they would have just listened, we wouldn't be divorced. And then anger gets involved in the mix. So we feel lonely and angry now. And guilty because we probably blamed ourselves at the same time. And all those emotions, they just drive us further away. And that circumstantial loneliness lasts. So I think we have a choice to make. When things happen to you and you become lonely, 
not because of something you did, but because something, someone, something happened to you, you can either focus on the loss or you can look back at that situation and try to find the good in it and put that good in your life. For example, someone you love passes away. Look back at their life. What made them great? Put those things in your own life. You can focus on the fact that they're not here or you can focus on the, and celebrate the fact that they lived. The marriage didn't work out the way I thought it would. Well, you know what? It might not have worked out, but hey, there were good times. What were those like? What did I learn from that marriage? How did it make me better? I put in your notes this way. Choose to focus on the impact, not the absence. Focus on the impact they made, not the absence of what is here now. It's, about, it's a matter of perspective. Now, I'm going to read you another passage of Scripture that I believe will help here. But again, every bit of you is going to want to fight against it. Because I did when I wrote it. I didn't write the verse when I copied into my notes. This is not my writing. Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that God causes some things to work together for the... No. We know that God causes most things to work together for... No. Everything. Underline it, please. Circle it. Star it. Highlight it. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I know it hurts. It hurts that they're gone. You didn't cause it, but you have to deal with it. And I also know this. This verse is as true for that situation as it is for anything else. God will use this loss in your life eventually for good. Now, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it's going to cause you to draw closer to him. Maybe it's going to be that somewhere down the road you're going to be help, able to help somebody else that's going through a, a crisis. And I don't know what it looks like, but God will use this loss in your life, first of all, to make you stronger like we talked about. But secondly, he will use it for good. Everything for good. That's a promise, and God does not break his promises. Things will get better. But we have to choose. Do I want to focus on the fact that I've lost something? Or do I want to focus on the fact that it happened? That I had good times. That there, were good, there was good in that situation at one time. And put that in my life. It's one final type of loneliness, and we're done. It's spiritual loneliness. I'm lonely because God doesn't care about me. We had intentional loneliness, which is loneliness I've caused myself. We had circumstantial loneliness, which is what has happened to me. This is spiritual loneliness. You ever felt like that? You ever wondered, God, where are you? Why do I feel like I'm all alone, like I'm some type of spiritual orphan? Where did you go? God, do you even exist? You say you're so loving. What happened here? I've felt like that before. Recently, the times in my life where I've wondered, does God even care about me anymore? I'm not saying that figuratively. I mean literally. Recently, I've asked that question. Does God care about me? You ever asked that question before? My wife and I tried to get pregnant for five years. No baby watching everybody else have babies. God, do you care? God, please heal my dad. 
didn't do that either. God, I, we took my daughter into the hospital for a checkup. She had the flu. It turned out not to be the flu. It turned out to be something attacking her heart. God, where'd you go? Four months ago, I found my mom passed away in her home. And I walked out the door. And I said, God, really? Do you not care? Where did you go? I mean, goodness gracious, God, I'm a pastor. I serve at the church. I tithe. I, I spend all this time, God, praising you. And what happens? You drop the ball time and time and time and time again. Where did you go? Ever felt like that? Now, you may never say it out loud. But you've been praying for something for a long time. Where the heck is God? You get angry. God must not care. Well, I stand in front of you and I tell you those things because I no longer feel that way. And there are two truths and two scriptures that God gave me that brought me, put me right back on the track. I pray they do the same for you. If you've ever felt this way before, here, here's the first truth. Please write this in. First truth is that you matter to God. You matter to God. You know how I handled that crisis, of, that spiritual crisis in my life a few months ago? I did what you guys do. I smiled and said I was fine. And most people, 99% of them went, oh, great, good, Pastor, yay. Look how strong you are. I wasn't fine. God reminded me in this next passage of Scripture that when I was doing my quiet time, I never stopped that, but he gave me this verse. And if you're feeling like I felt, I want you to hear this. You matter to God. Yet Jerusalem says, the people, they said, God has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. And look what God says back to his people. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, look, underline his next phrase. God says, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name where? On the palms of my hands. Your name, all the campuses, your name, online, everybody here today. Your name. It's on the palm of God's hand. And when I read that passage of scripture, I just broke down in tears. And I said, God, I don't understand it, but I know that it's true. Can you imagine when God looks down at his hands and says, sees your name written there? That's my girl. That's my boy. You matter to God. You matter to him. That broken heart that you have, that loneliness that you feel, it matters. When you try your hardest to fit in and you feel rejected, you matter to God. You feel like you're going to be single forever? That matters. God cares about that. You and I matter to God. And you know, there's one thing I learned going through this spiritual crisis. God was working in ways I didn't see it. I thought God had abandoned me. He hadn't, not only had he not abandoned me, he, I mattered to him. And he was already hard at work on other things I didn't see. He was changing hearts. He was making things better. I didn't see it. I was so impatient and so mad. But God was working everything out for my good. I matter to him. And here's the second truth. God is never far away. 
There's a passage of scripture in Matthew 14. Jesus has fed 5,000 people, more than 5,000 people, with two loaves and some fish and all that. And you've read that story before. He goes up into the hills to pray. And uh, while he does so, he tells his disciples to get into a boat and to go across into this body of water. And as they're doing so, you know, the storm comes up. Maybe you've read the story before. And the guys are getting afraid. The boat's swaying. The waves are high. And, of course, you know, Jesus just says, I'm going to go check on my boys. So the Bible tells us about 3 in the morning, he leaves where he was praying, and he walks out onto the water, out to the guys. And, of course, he, Jesus didn't walk on the shore and wave his hands. What did he do? He walked right on the water, right out to the boat. And the guys are looking out there like, is that, is that a man walking out? I mean, the storm's raging, and they can't really see, and the water's flowing. And they say, who, who is, is that Jesus? And they thought it was a ghost. They thought Jesus was a ghost. And, and, and Peter, of course, Peter's the, you know, the loudest, the most brash one of them all. What does Peter tell Jesus? Let's read it. It's in Matthew 14, starting in verse 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Jesus says, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was what? Terrified, like you and I would be. The way, I'm going to drown. And he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Please circle the most important word in that entire passage of scripture immediately. Jesus didn't have to run and catch Peter. Oh, I got you. He didn't have to pull him out from under the surface of the water. The Bible says that when Peter cried out, Lord, save me, what happened? Immediately, Jesus grabbed his arm. He was right there. If you ever doubt that God isn't around you all the time, go back to this passage of scripture. Jesus was one arm's length away. All Peter had to say was what? Save me, Lord. They've left me and I'm hurting. I don't fit in anymore. I lost my best friend to cancer. My marriage is on the rocks. Whatever it is in your life, save me, Lord. I need you, Lord. I can't do this on my own, Lord. I can't stay afloat on my own. I want you to fill this in. Now, it's the last couple of blanks, and I know the tendency is going to be putting those notes away. Hold on to them, please. God will never leave your side, and his grip is stronger than the waves. Man, I learned this lesson. You ever walk through a store, and you're, you have a kid with you, one of your children with you, and they, you have a hold of their hand, and they want to go to the toy section? And they start pulling away, wanting to run. Do you let them run away to the toy section? No. Why not? Because you want to protect them. So you grab a hold of that hand, and what do you do? You hold it tighter. Because you care. If you're struggling with loneliness today, I don't know, I don't know if the loneliness is self-inflicted. I don't know if the loneliness is circumstantial. Or I don't know if you've just said, you know what, God, where did you go? Jesus is right there. And his grip is stronger than the problems we face. I want to end today a little differently. I'm going to ask in just a few minutes, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. Not right now, just in a second. And I sense today, not only here, but all of our campuses, that there's someone here that's lonely. That there's someone here that needs to be reminded that they matter. That there's someone here that needs to know that Jesus is never going to leave them. He's never going to forsake them. And that his grip is strong enough to keep you from harm. 
we're going to pray together because I want to pray for you. I'd be honored to remind you of what God reminded me of not very long ago, that he's there. So let's all bow our heads, all of our campuses. No, nobody's looking around the room. All eyes are closed and we're focused. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little out of the ordinary. If you need prayer in this area, you're feeling lonely and you need to reach out, I want to encourage you to just reach your hand up in the air and grab a hold of Jesus' hand. Just reach it up there. His hand's coming up all over the auditorium. He's right there. Let's pray together. Keep those hands up. God, I reach out for you. God, I'm hurting. God, I feel lonely. Nobody understands me, God, but you promised in your word that you're never going to let me go. That you're going to grab a hold of that hand, Father, and rescue me. God, I pray for each and every hand up in this auditorium at all of our campuses worldwide, Father. I pray that, Father, you would restore a sense of peace. Remind them that they matter. Remind them that you care. Remind them that you love them and you're never going to leave them, no matter what. And we're going to give you, God, the glory for the rescue. Father, give us strength. Help us draw closer to you. We love you. We praise you. And we give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. You can put your hands back down. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to tell you something. It took a lot of courage to do that. I will be praying for you this week. I'll be praying that that loneliness you've dealt with for a long time, this would give you some fresh perspective. I look around the room today, at least here in this auditorium, and I see a lot of tears. And I know some of the things I said today, I, I pray they were helpful to you, but I know that also causes some pain. But my heart has been from the beginning of this message just to give you hope and remind you that the loneliness you're experiencing will pass. And here at Potential Church, we want to partner with you. We have prayer partners up, up front every service to pray for you. Anytime you see, we, we'd love to walk through this with you, this feeling of loneliness. Not run to the panic room, but let's lean on each other. I want to give you one last challenge if I could. We've been talking the last few weeks about myglasshouse.com. And we've been asking you to take pick up these invite cards. I, this is not a pitch to invite people, but it is. And here's why. It's not because I want you, we we're going to fill the auditorium with hundreds of people, although that's probably going to happen. It's not because this is an awesome church, even though it is the most amazing place in, in the world. Here's the, we want you to invite people to come because those tears you're crying, someone in your life needs the hope you just got. Someone needs to hear and come face to face with Jesus and it just changed your life forever. And you know them and you love them. Be courageous. Step into their lives. Grab some cars and say, I love you enough to invite you to where I come and get hope. That's why we invite people. Not to build a big church, but to heal hearts. That's the heart of our pastors. I want to challenge you to grab some of these. God's put a name on your heart right now. They might even have your last name. Sometimes family's the toughest ones to invite, aren't they? Be courageous. Be loving enough to hand them a card and say, join me next week as we kick off the fall. Let's pray together. God, you're amazing. Father, I pray for those that raised their hand today. 
And for those, Father, that raised their hand inside, they didn't raise it physically, but they felt it, that you would help us in our loneliness. That, Father, you would give us the courage and the strength to get up tomorrow and be new and to be trusting and to count on you, Father, and to just, just pour out and tonight even to feel hope again, to not push people away and reject them, but to let people back in. And Father, I pray for each and every beating heart in this room at all of our campuses, be with their families and heal us. Help us remember, Father, that we're never truly alone. But we have you who love us unconditionally. You knew how our lives were gonna go, yet you made us anyway for greatness. Thank you. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory for the breakthrough that we believe and we know is coming. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand today if you would.